Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. listening to some of the same music that my parents did, then you were probably starting to hear the lyrics and the tune from the birds turn, turn, turn. And so they had taken this text and had put it to music. Now they follow a lot of exactly what's written here, but of course it's not always lyrical in English the same way. And so they change a little of it. But if you haven't had the chance to hear that song, I would encourage you to listen to it because it's wonderful to have a melody that helps us to remember scripture. We try to do this very often in hymnody within the church, but it's nice that someone can figure out how to make the wider world listen to scripture. And so there are probably plenty of people who heard the song by the birds, turn, 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 and they memorized it, and they started singing it, and they have no idea this is an ancient Hebrew text. And I get a big kick out of that, that there are a lot of people walking around that will sing a song and not realize that they're actually recounting scripture, unintentionally, but still beautifully. And this text is coming to us from a, a difficult book to understand. Ecclesiastes is kind of a mishmash of Proverbs and a little bit of here's the harsh reality of life, but here's the good news. And so Ecclesiastes has been traditionally attributed to a wise ruler. Sometimes people have tried to pin down Solomon as the one to do that. It's not a very long book. It can actually be read in one sitting fairly easily. And so I encourage you to read it if you haven't had the chance. You'll probably be amazed at some of the things that are in there. But of course, one of the most quoted passages is what I just read to you. And that is recounting for us that there is a time for everything under heaven. There is a time for us to mourn, but there is a time for us to be joyful. And it's difficult to realize what we need to do sometimes. And of course, the long-standing answer is theological reflection. We need to prayerfully discern what it is that God would have us do. But we also live in a world that has a lot of responsibilities for us and a lot of needs and a lot of requirements. And sometimes it's hard to stop and pay attention to what time is God telling us it is now? So if you got to sleep through the night, I was awakened right around midnight by firecrackers, but if you got to sleep through the night and you woke up today, you woke up in an entirely new calendar year. It's not the new year for the church. That began back on the last Sunday of November. That our liturgical year is not the calendar year. So our new year started on the first Sunday of Advent because it's the one time throughout history that the church is actually ahead of all the world. So we already started our new year in the church, but now it is the new year for everybody else. And this is a time where people are kind of introspective and reflective. They think about the things of last year and the hopes for the new year. Sometimes we think about how we're going to make ourselves better. We talk about our resolutions. And then you read Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is reminding us that maybe it's a time for something new. Maybe it's time for things to change from what they were. 
This morning I got here and some of our poinsettias had obviously not made it through the week. And so I was putting them together and taking them outside. And as I was doing that, I ran into one of our neighbors who was walking their dog. Neighbor of the church, not neighbor of me, but neighbor of the church. And they said, good morning. And I said, good morning to you. And they said, happy new year. And I said, happy new year. And they said, are you ready for 2023? Well, whether I am or not, it's here. But... I said to him, you know, I am ready for anything that is not 2020, 2021, or 2022. I am ready for a 2023 that is not like what we've been living in. I am ready for that. And I said, and you know what? In the church, three is a good number. So I am hoping, and I am praying, and I'll have to do the work, that 2023 will be an excellent year. Because you know, in the church, we love threes. You know, the Godhead three and one, we love that. If you like one, try one, one, one. We love three. And so already I thought of it and went, huh, maybe it will be a better year. It's like it's already with biblical numerology moving into the right direction. And so he took off with his dogs and I came back in here to the church to get ready. And as I was doing that, I had the opportunity to make sure that everything was straight in the front office. And I did what most of us should never do. I opened up Facebook. And of course, Facebook was covered in people wishing you Happy New Year's and people who were like, I don't think I'm going to be okay in the new year or I have big hopes. And you can see the breadth of human emotion already. People who are ready to start a new year and a new day and people who are like, it's been so bad, it ain't ever going to get better. And it's never going to get better. But that is not what Ecclesiastes tells us. Ecclesiastes, the wisdom that was so profound and yet peculiar, that wisdom that has been passed down through generation after generation to the fact that even Jesus would have heard it as he was growing up. They would have recounted Ecclesiastes. They would have said there's a time for this and a time for us to move past it. There's a time for us to savor the now and a time for us to look to the future. There's a time to gather. There's a time to sow, a time to mourn. There's a time even to dance. And what we're trying to figure out is what are we going to do in the new year? And I think that today is a lot like the discernment that happens when you're a dancer. I grew up dancing from the age of three. I did ballet and tap. I later added onto that modern and jazz. And so we did a lot of dancing. And I can remember that the best part about dance was you had a choreographer. You know, we had a teacher, she taught us, and then she choreographed our, our dances for us. And that was wonderful because you didn't have to figure out what you were gonna do. She told you exactly what you were gonna do and when you were gonna do it and where you were gonna stand and what you were gonna wear and how you were gonna smile. She told you every little thing. And that was great. All you had to do was learn it, practice it, and perform it. It was perfect. All you had to do was be present and practice, and then you would know exactly what to do. And then, when your moment came on stage, you were able to perform and bless people with what you were able to do. Hopefully. That was the goal. But one time she did something different, something unexpected. We were in the middle of practicing and getting a little bit more choreography for a ballet dance. And this is all classical music, there's no words. And so here we are doing some really uh, intermediate level ballet. And all of a sudden she stops and she says, okay, now I wanna see you freestyle for 10 beats. Wait, what? Yes, I'm gonna give you 10 beats, you figure out what you're gonna do. Ready, go. And this is what happened. Some of us just stood there like, no, no, I can't do that. You're the choreographer. We are the dancers. We don't make up our own stuff. And others were like, 
Um, I'm going to wait and see what other people do and probably do what they do. We'll follow their lead. But then there was my friend. And my friend, when she said go, paused for a moment, probably about one beat, and then broke out into tap dance. Well, the dance that we were watching her do was what we were doing to an 80s pop music song called Putting on the Ritz by Taco. It didn't exactly go with the ballet, but she nailed it. She did it. And when she finished, the choreographer, the teacher, looked at her and went, huh, didn't expect that. None of us did. But what happened was, when she was given the chance, when the moment came, and it was like, okay, you decide, she reached into her pocket and pulled out what she knew. She pulled out tap. She knew that piece, she liked that piece, and that's what she did. And that's the metaphor for the new year. If you don't learn something new, if you don't practice new behaviors and new disciplines, if you don't look at how you can do something differently, you're gonna fall back on what you know. You're gonna fall back on what you did, right? That's what's so hard about resolutions. I love it when people are like, I'm gonna lose 10 pounds and I'm gonna go to the gym. Well, you know, you're not gonna lose the 10 pounds unless you go to the gym. Right? And then you see people and you're like trying to hold each other accountable. Like, you've been to the gym? They're like, no, have you? And you're like, no. At least we're together. Not going to the gym. Because you fall into old habits. If it hasn't been your habit to go to the gym, you're not going to go to the gym. You've got to be motivated. You've got to be committed to changing how things are. There is a time for everything. There's a time for us to allow God to be our choreographer. But then there's another mode of dance. I grew up being told how to dance, being told what to dance. And so for me, choreography was great. You were told where to go and what to stand, and you did it. You did all of those things, and it was very comforting, and it was structured, and you didn't have to worry about what am I gonna do for the next eight beats. You didn't have that problem. But we have a member of our family of faith who has been, even before the pandemic, a ballroom dancer. Not professionally, but as a hobby, and really enjoys it, and is frankly quite good at it. And so she enjoys ballroom dancing because there's the theme of the unknown in ballroom dancing, right? And because she's female, she's not leading. And so you have to have a relationship and you have to trust the person that's leading, the person that's dancing with you, your partner. You have to determine whether or not you're going to follow when they start to lead you to the left. Because if you start going to the right, your dance is not going to look very good, that's for sure. And so there's a level of trust and commitment and a desire to bring forth the fruit of that dance, that it's going to look good. If you're going to go into ballroom dancing, then you very quickly have to learn not only the steps, but you have to think on your feet and pivot and be able to really quickly move and follow who's leading. Or if you're the lead, then you have to decide what you're going to do and lead your partner into that. And in life, we have that. Some of us are married to our partner. Some of us are in committed relationships to our partners. For some of us, our partners are platonic or they're familial. And we have someone or someones to whom we are partnered. And we are doing things with them. We are doing things when they lead or we are leading them into doing things. And so we have these relationships where we are very much empowered. Do you even want to partner and dance? And then if you do, do you want to lead? or do you want to follow? You have a lot of power in that kind of dancing expression. And really, it makes you much more flexible. 
It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like, you know, you have to follow who's leading or the one that's leading has to figure out how to make the other one follow. But really, if you are doing a Viennese waltz and then the band changes suddenly, you can move right into a tango if you know what you're doing. You can very quickly adjust and change course. Now, for those of us who perform choreography, that sounds like a nightmare. Because at the end of my ballet dance, I went into the back, took off all the tutus and the point shoes, and then put on some fishnets and some fringe, and put on a tap shoes, and then I came out. I didn't just go from point right into tap. We had a period of transition. Transition was great. It was very comforting. You could close out this, and then you could move over here to this. Maybe that's what some of us think the new year is. Maybe for some of us, we're looking for God to be our choreographer, to help us close out what has been, that we may be liberated and free to embrace what can be. We're looking for something new. We're looking for new opportunity. We're looking to get better, to use that Wesleyan phrase, we want to go on to perfection in something, anything, that we might discover that we have gotten better through God's love. And we yearn for that. And so we are looking for our divine choreographer. But for others of us, we're looking to have a little bit more of a say. We want to be a little more involved. We know that maybe it's too hard to plan all the way through the dance of the next year. And so we want to be able to respond to the needs of our partner or whoever we're with in the moment. Whether we're at home or we're in school, we're in our job, we're out in the community, we're here in the church, whatever we're doing, we want to have that, that liberty that comes from that kind of partnering. We want to have that. And so it's important to have a good partner, but you have to remember that no matter what, you have a partner, and that partner is Jesus Christ. And he is with you. And sometimes he's taking the lead. Sometimes he told his apostles exactly what was going to happen and how they were going to do it. You're going out in twos, and you're not going to take an extra coat. You're not going to take an extra pair of sandals. You're not even going to take a money purse. You're going to go out, and this is how you are going to bless the world. But other times, he asked them to lead. You feed these people. You feed the thousands of people that you're so worried won't have anything to eat. You do it. And so Jesus, all along in his earthly ministry, was teaching us about the dance of partnership and how we are in partner not only with other Christians and the church, but with Christ. And that's for everything that we do. We have a partner. And sometimes we need to know that Jesus is right there with us, ready to move into the next step. And sometimes we know that we need Jesus to be the choreographer and tell us how this is going to happen. And the best dancers can do both. They can follow a lead, they can lead someone to follow them, they can take choreography, and then you really hit a new level of spiritual maturity when you are able to choreograph, when you are able to lead with your unique gifts and graces and perspectives and your experiences that you've had as a Christian up to this point. And all of us should be yearning to be that. All of us should be trying to get to that point. One of the things that I do every year is every October, I go on a cruise with my best friend. He doesn't live here, he lives in another area of the state, and so we have committed that every October, before the, the craziness of Advent, that he and I are always gonna go on a cruise. And we're both dancers. We don't dance together, but we like to dance. And so we get to do that on a cruise ship because there's constantly music and 
live music and, and pre-recorded music. There's all kinds of music and lots of dance space, and we get to dance. And we were in a piano bar one time on the high seas, which was really fun, and a whole group of guys got up and were trying to do the rocket dance. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was special. <laughs> it was special. And so I'm watching it, and unfortunately for me, one of my tap teachers was a rocket. And I, you know, wanting to be a dancer for so long, used to watch the Rockettes. Every single Thanksgiving Day Parade, you watch the Rockettes. And I've been to Radio City Music Hall, and I've seen the Rockettes. And so I'm watching, and I'm like, that is not even how you do that. That's not right. And they're not even together. And so before I could help myself, I stood up, and I was like, guys, guys no, guys, stop. Just stop. I was like, here's what we're going to do. You're gonna do knee and down and kick and down. And then you're gonna turn and knee and down and kick and down. And we did that for a few beats. I mean, I had to like join in and be the center, which is awkward because I was definitely the shortest. I was in flats. And here we are doing this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, are you ready? Now we're gonna transition to the front kicks and we're gonna alternate. And they're like, I don't know if we can do it. I'm like, you can do it. And we, what did we do? We did it. It lasted for maybe four seconds. It's a lot of high kicking for these men. And all of a sudden, when I got back to my seat, my friend looks over at me and he's like, I didn't think you were leading the choreography tonight. And I was like, I didn't either, but sometimes you see something that's so tragic, you have to help. And so what we discovered is all of a sudden, it was just there. You, I, all of a sudden, I just had to help. I think I was helping. You just have to help. They got a big round of applause, so obviously somebody was happy. And you realize that in those moments, it's a make or break moment. Are you going to do something or are you going to stand there? Are you going to lead? Are you going to be led to go and help? Or are you just going to be passive? What are you going to do? There is a time to jump in and there is a time to refrain from jumping. There's a time for us to realize that we need to be transformed. We need to change things. And almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus offered us that opportunity when he instituted Holy Communion. He told the people that were gathered with him that first night at the communion table that they would continue to do this, not only remembering what he had done, but so that he could be present every time they broke the bread, every time they shared the cup, that Christ could be with them, empowering them to live out Ecclesiastes. And as I read it again to you, think of the things that you have been doing, and then think of what the things are that you should be doing. Because for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now, as beautiful as many of those words are, there are some words that kind of make some of us go, ooh. I mean, nobody wants to think of, is it time to kill? Is it time to hate? Is it time for war? 
We don't want to hear those things. We don't, that's not the promise that we think of immediately when we think of the grace of Holy Communion or the opportunity to be forgiven, loved, and free in Jesus Christ. That's not where we go, but here they are. And I don't think that we're being encouraged right now to be like, okay, if you've been loving, it's time to hate. I don't think that's what God is encouraging us to do. But if you have been successfully living your life in love, maybe it's time to go to those who hate and show them what love is. If you are a person who has been endeavoring and upholding and striving for peace, maybe it's time to go to those who too instantly lean to war and say, hey, let's see if we can find another way. And of course, you have the opportunity here to look at the way in which we live and think, maybe, just maybe, if I haven't been doing the right thing, this is the perfect opportunity to write a whole new dance a new chapter in our book of life, a new opportunity for us to do things differently. Because if you have been chained to your sin, if you have been enslaved to your guilt, if you have felt that nothing could change, then this sacrament is for you. Because lives change here. People change. Possibilities shift. And the future can emerge differently all in this. And it might sound kind of strange to say that. How can this make me different? It's just bread and it's just juice in a cup. But when we call upon the Holy Spirit to be present and transform these gifts that we who receive them may be transformed, we have to have hope and believe that that is what happens. In Methodism, we call this a holy mystery. We're not really sure what's happening here, but you know something is happening. You know. It's hard sometimes to pin down what is happening. And we are a very verbal culture here in the United States in this date and time. Not only are we verbal, but we are also literate. We, we write and type and read. We are able to express ourselves with the word. But here, it's not about the words. Here, it's about the movement. This is given for you. Will you receive? That is what is happening here. Now, because we are verbal and because Christianity is a literate religion, we have liturgical words that will accompany this. But ironically, at 9 o'clock this morning, right before I started worship, my microphone just started crackling and popping, and I had to take it off, and I had to use a hand microphone the entire worship service, which meant that I couldn't break the bread and uphold the bread and lift the cup up while I'm holding a microphone. And so I had to say the words of the liturgy and offer the prayer, and then I had to put my mic down and in silence lift up the bread, bless it, break it, and offer it. And then with the cup, in silence, I lifted it up. I offered it. And all of a sudden, as one of the church members said afterwards, it was very different, the silence. It was. Because suddenly, it emphasized the fact that what is happening here is an invitation. You are being invited to take a piece of God's self, God's grace within to your body, your vessel, your being. And then, let it become part of who you are. And that is how we are starting a brand new calendar year with an opportunity to lay aside our stones of sin and guilt, to put them down, and instead 
to receive tangible signs of God's inward grace. A sacrament is what conveys that. And grace is unmerited favor. It is pardon and forgiveness and love all wrapped up in a perfect present given to us. Time and time again, it is for us. And so we are called here. We are beckoned by Christ to come to the table to receive not only the elements, but the grace and the giver, to receive what Christ is giving to us. Perhaps that's why it is so fitting in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition that we have a practice referred to as open table. This table does not have an owner outside of Jesus Christ. It is not owned by Methodism. It is not owned by the United Methodist Global Denomination. It is not owned by Crozet United Methodist, and it certainly isn't owned by me. It is overseen by the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Amen. And all of us, whether we are here or not, are invited to this table. We're invited to take and eat, take and drink, take this grace for yourself. Because the more we learn to receive grace, the more we are empowered to give it. And for some of us, this will become the choreography. This will become, I know what I must do. I have received God's grace, and now I must go out and make those steps my own. I must give Christ as I have received. Now, for others of us, it empowers us to make a change, to write a new dance, to become our own leaders and choreographers. It empowers us and gives us the, the autonomy to go forth and be different than how we were yesterday. Because if you, like me, find yourself going, I hope 2023 is just completely different from the past few years. If you find yourself wishing and hoping and praying that this could be the start of something new, it can. And there are certainly a lot of skeptics, both in and outside of the church, that would say there's no way that can do that. Maybe not. But then why is it that when communion is done, it brings some to tears? Why is it that when communion is done, some feel completely unburdened? They feel as if they can rise to any occasion. They feel as if they can stand before God for the first time. And that is the exact description of justifying grace, that you can stand before God and not have to worry about what has been, but just who you are to God, beloved and of sacred worth. That is what happens here every single time. Will you be led that you might turn and lead? Will you receive this choreography that you might have the steps necessary to share grace with others? For once you have it, you know. And when the moment comes, and you are watching a hot mess of choreography, you will be equipped to say, I know what we need to do. We need to offer grace. We need to stop the hatred, the violence, the war, the death. It is time for a new day. Because you know what a new day tastes like. May it be so.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.